0: It was 306 to 223, that's a lot. We had a massive landslide
1: victory, as you know, in the Electoral College.
0: The Democrats got their ass kicked. 306
2: to 223, that's a pretty good shellacca.
1: Aw, karma's a bitch.
2: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs.
1: From Pacifica Radio, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Elsewhere in California, on KFOI Red Bluff Redding, KKRN Round Mountain, KGOE Eureka. In Oregon, KYAQ on the Central Coast, on KSO in Cottage Grove, and KEPW in Eugene. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, WLRI, Maui, Hawaii, KAKU, Columbus, Ohio, WGRN, Halenville, New York, WLPP, in Rochester, New York, on WRFZ, New Orleans, Louisiana, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico, KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ, Seattle, Washington, KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin, WADR, in Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM 950, KTNF, and coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, Nicole Sandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdon Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing the Globe five days a week, usually hosted by Brad Friedman of Bradblog.com. But today, you got me again, your trusted guest host, Nicole Sandler. I host The Nicole Sandler Show, Heard Weekdays, 5 Eastern, to Pacific on the Progressive Voices Network, among other places, and always available as a podcast at NicoleSandler.com. And right now, as I'm taping this edition of the broadcast, it's Friday, November 13th. Friday the 13th in 2020? Seriously? What could possibly go wrong? <sighs> Well, I'm keeping my eyes on the prize. 68 days from right now until Inauguration Day on January 20th. That means there's 53 days until it's Election Day in Georgia for the two U.S. Senate runoff races, which will determine the control of the Senate. That happens January 5th. In 31 days, the Electoral College will cast its votes to finalize the 2020 election. And Brad said there's another one in 24 days, the statutory safe harbor deadline for resolving election disputes for the Electoral College. If you say so. (laughs) That happens on December 8th. So welcome to the post-election broadcast. Unfortunately, we're not post-Trump yet, but we're working on it. So we've got a big show for you today. Coming up later on in the hour, a conversation with Wendell Potter. Wendell Potter is the only whistleblower to come forward from the health insurance industry. And we first met Wendell Potter back in 2009 when he testified before a Senate committee. And the occasion for today's visit is that this past week, On Tuesday, November 10th, one week to the day after Election Day, the Supreme Court heard the Trump administration's third challenge to the Affordable Care Act. So I asked Wendell if, after hearing the arguments, he would join me to talk about what happened. And, well, most of us know by now we got surprised in a good way. We won't get the decision until June, but all indications are that those of us who get our insurance Through Obamacare, we'll still be able to get our insurance through Obamacare. More on that later. But as usual, we start the show with a look at what's happening in the news. But I already gave you the big headline, right? CNN, NBC, basically all the news organizations have now called the election, for Joe Biden. So Friday afternoon, Donald Trump scheduled a a Rose Garden event. He was going to speak about the vaccine, ostensibly, with news on the coronavirus task force, which as far as we know hasn't met in months, uh, and the vaccine, which Pfizer says was not part of Operation Warp Speed. But of course, he's going to deal with the, the election and the fact that he lost, right? Wrong. In fact, the closest he came to saying anything about the election or anything about the possibility that he will not be president after January 20th was, well, this.
0: Ideally, we won't go to a lockdown. I will not go. This administration will not be going to a lockdown. Hopefully, the the uh, whatever happens in the future, who knows which administration it will be. I guess time will tell, but uh, I can tell you, this administration will not go to a lockdown.
1: This administration will not go to a lockdown. What the future holds, we don't know. Actually, we do know, Donald, you lost. And I'm going to actually play for you a little montage of some of your closest advisors who immediately after the 2016 election was called had a few choice words for Democrats. I want you to look in the mirror while you listen to what they have to say.
0: You have people out there calling for recounts that are unsubstantiated based on no evidence this was a legitimate election mm-hmm. and no one should question the fact that Donald Trump is
3: the
1: president-elect. It's a fascinating group of these Democrats who can't seem to realize that it is time to move on. It is time to accept the fact that Trump will be the next president of the United States.
0: Hillary is on her, her sore loser tour and oh, now God. we have her going through recounts. You know what she needs to do? She needs to get over it. She lost. Yeah. Get out of the way and let Donald Trump be president. Do you think the Democrats Democrats are sore losers. Yeah, I do.
2: The reality is, they're a bunch of swell crybabies. News flash for many of the partisan Democrats and those in the mainstream media who continue to try to delegitimize President elect Trump's uh, massive and historic win last month. The election's over. Hillary Clinton lost. You have to win 270 electoral votes to be elected president, and President elect Trump actually got 306. This is all really just an effort to try to delegitimize the win. The so left's the left going to lie. The are going to be smirched. They're, they're going, going go nuts
3: crazy. Now. They can't accept the election results, let alone the fact that he's actually going to solve problems. They have to
1: decide whether they're going to interfere with him finishing his business, interfere wow. with the peaceful transition, wow. transfer of power to President-elect Trump and Vice President-elect Pence, or if they're going to be a bunch of crybabies and <laughs> sort losers about an election that they can't turn around. This is America. We live in a democracy. Everybody, when they woke up in the morning, registered to vote, could go choose. So how about respecting the majority that also live here and their vote should count? Wow. Wow, wow. The hypocrisy is deafening. Look in the mirror, Republicans. Listen to your own words. (sighs) Ah, and that means you, Donald Trump, when you realize that you lost to Joe Biden, who got 306 electoral college votes, to your 232, or is it 223?
0: And then we won by a lot. Don't forget, it was 306 to 223 that's a lot we had a massive landslide victory as you know Uh in the electoral college Uh this was an excuse for the democrats who lost an election who actually got their ass kicked (laughs) 306 to 223 that's 232
1: 232 but you know who's counting you lost so it's clear to virtually everyone that joe biden won and is our president-elect But Donald Trump doesn't know how to concede or lose gracefully, so he's raging. In this case, against CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency that Trump himself established in November of 2018. Well... On Thursday night, CISA contradicted Trump's voter fraud conspiracies, saying unequivocally there is no evidence of any voting system being compromised in the 2020 election. Their statement reads in part, quote, The November 3rd election was the most secure in American history. Right now, across the country, election officials are reviewing and double-checking the entire election process prior to finalizing the result. When states have close elections, many will recount ballots. All of the states with close results in the 2020 presidential race have paper records of each vote, allowing the ability to go back and count each ballot if necessary. This is an added benefit for security and resilience. This process allows for the identification and correction of any mistakes or errors. There is no evidence that any voting system deleted or lost votes, changed votes, or was in any way compromised, end quote. Well, that's pretty definitive. And let me add a silver lining to this COVID pandemic is that we voted on paper ballots, but back to the subject at hand. In response, or more likely retaliation, more firings. Yeah, this time, Valerie Boyd, the top official for international affairs at the Department of Homeland Security, and Brian Ware, a senior policy aide, At CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, were both shown the door. And the warning flag is up around Cybersecurity Chief Christopher Krebs, who everyone is worried could be fired next. But all the news is not bad. Let's look at some of the good news that came from this election. Americans showed up to vote big time, breaking all voter turnout, state and national records. And they're not even done counting yet. So far, 63.9% of Americans eligible to vote cast a ballot in the 2020 election. That's the highest percentage since 1908, when it was a record 65.7% turnout. On the state level, turnout in all but eight is projected to exceed 40-year records, with Minnesota and Wisconsin coming in at close to 80% turnout. Overall, total 2020 turnout is projected to rise to 66.5% once all the votes are tallied. That would be the highest since 1900 when there was a 73.7% turnout among eligible voters. But keep in mind that there was a much smaller pool of eligible voters back in 1900 and 1908 as women, Asian Americans, and some Native Americans could not vote and other non-white Americans were discouraged from voting through Jim Crow laws and other intimidation tactics. Well, it's come back to 2020 now. It's been well over a week since Election Day and almost as long since now lame duck Donald has spoken publicly. He is rage tweeting prolifically, but is ignoring the public duties of the presidency. The Washington Post noting, quote, on Thursday, six American service members were killed in a helicopter crash during a peacekeeping mission in Egypt. Tropical storm Eta made landfall in North Florida, contributing to severe flooding. The number of Americans infected with the novel coronavirus continued at a record-setting pace, sending the stock market tumbling. At the White House, President Trump spent the day, as he has most others this week, sequestered from public view, tweeting grievances, falsehoods and misinformation about the election results and about Fox News' coverage of him. Neither he nor his aides briefed reporters on the news of the day or reacted to Democratic leaders who've been accusing Republicans of imperiling the pandemic response by refusing to accept reality over the election results. So Trump may be silent, but the last president is speaking out. Barack Obama's got a new book on the way. A Promised Land hits shelves on Tuesday and a new 60 Minutes interview will air Sunday night. From this preview, we see that Obama is not shy about calling out the GOP for going along with Trump's madness.
3: What are these false claims of widespread election fraud doing to our country right now? They appear to be motivated in part because the president doesn't like to lose. And never admits loss. I'm more troubled by the fact that other Republican officials who clearly know better are going along with this, are humoring him in this fashion. It is one more step in delegitimizing not just the incoming Biden administration, but democracy generally. And that's a dangerous path.
1: And if 2018 was the year of the woman, 2020 is shaping up to be the year of the women of color, as at least 50, women of color will serve in the next Congress, a whopping four of them Republicans. The other big story of the day, also being ignored by Trump and his administration, is, of course, COVID-19. U.S. public health officials reported 164,405 new cases on Thursday, obliterating the previous single-day record set on Wednesday. It was also the first day since the pandemic began where the country has seen more than 150,000 new infections. It was the eighth straight day with more than 100,000 new cases. And hospitalizations for COVID-19 rose to 67,000. 96 patients, also a record, all this according to the COVID Tracking Project. Hospitalizations have doubled over the last five weeks, and deaths, which tend to rise shortly after increases in new cases, are already averaging more than a 1,000 a day. In a number of states, governments are tightening restrictions on public and private gatherings to curb the spread of the virus, including the city of Chicago, where a new 30-day stay-at-home order begins Friday morning. And as expected, new COVID-19 cases with ties to Donald Trump's orbit continue to climb. On Thursday, three more came to light. Corey Lewandowski, obviously an advisor to Trump, Jeff Miller, a top advisor to House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, and Richard Walters, the chief of staff at the RNC, all tested positive. And go figure. Lewandowski and Miller were both at the election night celebration at the White House. In the 10 days since the event, a few individuals close to the president have tested positive, including White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and Department of Housing and Urban Development Secretary Ben Carson. So although the election has been called by the major news organizations, Georgia going to Joe Biden, the recount, the audit is still underway. And I read an interesting tweet this morning from somebody at the Voice of America who said, following accreditation by the office of the Georgia Secretary of State, the Carter Center will monitor the risk-limiting election 2020 audit taking place in the state of Georgia. Really? The Carter Center? So I reached out to the Carter Center. We'll take a quick timeout and come back on the other side and speak with Jason Carter, chair of the Board of Trustees. ...of the Carter Center. That's next. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on the broadcast.
2: Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. They're not talking
0: about right or left. They're talking
2: about, t- t- talking about...
1: I'm Nicole Sandler, in today for Brad and Desi on the broadcast. So, although it's a done deal, the election is over, Joe Biden is president elect, and Donald Trump is soon, hopefully, only a bad memory, there's still an audit of the vote going on in Georgia. And I learned this morning that the Carter Center will be monitoring it. So, I reached out to Jason Carter. He's the chair of the Board of Trustees. For the Carter Center. Mm -hmm. Jason Carter is on the line. Jason Carter is the chair of the Carter Center. Therefore, the the Carter, you are one of Jimmy Carter's grandsons, I'm guessing? That's correct. That's correct. And the reason I reached out to you today, Jason, and thank you so much for taking my call, is I read something um, a a few hours ago on Twitter that said that um, the Carter Center had gotten clearance from the Secretary of State of Georgia and would now be involved in in i guess observing the um the recount or the audit in Georgia of the presidential election. Uh and so I wanted to check with you and see what was going on and, and let me take one second to give you a little bit of history it was about it was 2012, I believe, maybe, um, when uh, uh, your I, don't, I guess your cousin, James E. Carter, the fourth, uh, who we who we got to know back in 2012, because he was the guy who got the Mitt Romney 47 percent tape. Uh, but that's another story for another day. Um, it, when I had asked him on Twitter why the Carter Center doesn't send observers to deal with our um, U.S. elections because they're so screwed up. And he said, because we have a different election system in each state, we don't qualify for the Carter Center to monitor us. Is d- 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 Am I explaining that correctly?
0: You are. I mean, you know, first of all, how, how far we have come as a country when that comment by Mitt Romney was such a uh, big deal. I mean, right? compared to some of the stuff that people say these days, uh, it's amazing. But yes, the Carter Center has observed 111 elections over the last 30 years in many countries, and we've never until this year um, officially engaged in any American election, in part because our elections uh, don't meet a number of international standards, um, and in part because you know, our neutrality is really important. And as a, an organization founded uh, by a Democratic president, Um, You know, we've we've questioned, you know, we've wanted to be clear and careful that we would only enter into any sort of American domestic elections if if we were going to do it in a way that that our nonpartisan nature would would be maintained. And so this year we we in essence made an exception uh, and decided to get engaged in a number of ways. And and as you mentioned, one of those is in, in, in observing the risk limiting audit that's going on here in Georgia.
1: Right. And so the way I learned about this is on Twitter this morning, I follow Steve Herman, who works for Voice of America, and he tweeted out following accreditation by the office of the Georgia Secretary of State. At Carter Center, will monitor the risk limiting election 2020 audit taking place in the state of Georgia. Well, now it's probably kind of moot because, um, well, the, the race has just been called by all the media organizations for Biden. But the recount goes on. Not that anyone thought it was going to change things. Was this something that you guys initiated or you were asked to come in and check it out? Sure. So
0: we have actually engaged when we decided earlier this year for a number of reasons that this election was sort of crucially important for the health of American democracy. We realized that we couldn't sit by as one of the foremost election observation organizations in the world uh, and not look at what was happening in our own backyard. Uh, And so we engaged in a number of ways nationally, but in particular, uh, the Carter Center has been involved with the Georgia Secretary of State's nonpartisan task force for several months. And so but we were always going to be involved in the risk-limiting audit after the election, along with huh. a group of other organizations. But once they decided to do this full-hand recount of, for, of the entire uh, presidential election in Georgia, um, that's when we, d- we had to scale up our efforts, and now we truly are going to have monitors and now all the counties we're going to be out there uh you know really fully engaging as a as election observers.
1: Great. Now let me ask you the one other thing which goes hand in hand with this which is again the reason that James told me that the Carter Center was never involved in the US elections because we have 50 states, we have 50 different election systems which sounds like a a, a giant cluster mess, if you will. Um, <laughs> but the, the, apparently it's because of that, that, that it's hard to basically, um, fix a U.S. election to hack into our election system and, and, and take over the whole thing because we have 50 different systems. Does that, is that right?
0: Sure. So there's two things there that you said. And, you know, it is a cluster mess, uh-huh. to use your
1: well-coined <laughs> phrase.
0: Uh-huh. Um, and, and part of that is because, yes, it's worse than you just described and better, okay. uh, because it's not only that each state has its own election system, but in many states, each county has its own election system. I mean, we all remember that Palm Beach County in 2000 oh, yeah. used a different kind of ballot than everybody else. Um, You know, in Georgia, we have 159 counties, as, you know, all the CNN folks learned when they were poking around the map for the first time. You know, Georgia had never been a battleground state before. So nobody, you know, everybody knows where Pinellas County is and Broward County is in Florida. because We talk about it every year. But in Georgia, everybody was like, wait, what county is that? We we appreciated that. But the point is, is it's very decentralized. And that means, among other things, that there's some downside to that, right, that there is not common. Uh, or, or, you know, common dates for a registration. There's not common ballots. There's a bunch of different conflicting and sometimes confusing rules and regulations. But to your point, the decentralization does, in fact, make it really difficult, um, certainly for election irregularities, um, just to, to be anything other than very, very isolated. And so it is a, a fraud prevention and a, and a, and a sort of uh, real check on any sort of effort to, quote, fix an election.
1: Right. Uh you know, Jason Carter, I can't thank you enough for for jumping in. Today is obviously kind of a crazy day and I I just uh you know, okay. reached out to you out of the blue, so I appreciate it. I would love to talk to you at another time or at length about what the Carter Center does cuz frankly I had no idea. I went to the website, and I'm looking. I see peace programs, health programs, countries, uh, human rights program, rule of law program. Like, where's the election stuff? And, I, and then I see democracy program, and I clicked on that, and sure enough, that's what the election uh, observing and stuff falls under. So you guys at the Carter Center keep really busy. You're doing a lot of work and, and really good work around the world. So thank you for that, too. Um How's your grandfather doing? Well, thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. My, my
0: grandfather's doing well. Uh, my grandfather's doing well. My grandmother, they're, they're doing great. They are sort of truly, for the first time in their lives, uh, officially retired. And so <laughs> they are hanging out in planes and uh, having a good time. But, you know, the Carter Center is a big organization. It has 3,000 employees around the world and a, you know, a big budget. And we do a lot. And, you know, as, as we've been joking lately, our, our expertise in democracy and human rights and in disease prevention all of a sudden it seems a lot more relevant in 2020 perhaps <laughs> than it has in the past so no no we're, kidding we're out there working hard and thanks for having me on
1: oh i, I thank you for coming on and as i said i'm going to be in touch because i would love to have you on when things calm down a little bit to talk more about what you guys do over there people can check out the website it's cartercenter.org and i love your little slug line waging peace fighting disease building hope That's awesome. Jason Carter, thank Thank you so much. We'll talk again soon, I hope. You too. All right. Take care. Bye bye. All right. Quick time out. And we're back with Wendell Potter. The Supreme Court this week again heard a Trump challenge to the Affordable Care Act. Amazing. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on the broadcast. You're listening to AM 950 KTNF, St. Louis Park, Minneapolis, St. Paul, the progressive voice
2: of Minnesota.
0: Don't let us get sick. Don't let us get old. Don't let us get stupid, all right.
1: I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on the broadcast. So we've known for months now that on November 10th, one week, After Election Day, the Supreme Court would take up yet another case seeking to overturn the Affordable Care Act. And indeed they did. Just last Tuesday, the Supreme Court heard the Trump administration's third, third challenge to the Affordable Care Act. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> it's amazing. They lost the first two times. I was, to be honest with you, nervous because we know the makeup of the court now is very one sided. It is the most conservative Supreme Court in decades. Well, I asked our next guest to join us today to go over what happened. And I think we have uh, good news to tell you. So let me welcome Wendell Potter back to the program. Wendell Potter, of course, is the, still to this day, the only Health insurance industry whistleblower. Nobody else from that industry has come forward to tell the truth about what goes on there. Have they, Wendell?
3: They have not. Uh, it, it's, it's a scary thing. I will tell you, though, that there are plenty of folks who are unhappy with what they're doing and what they're seeing and are reaching out to me quietly. So uh, uh, that's encouraging. But you're right. I'm the only one who's who's uh, who's done this in a very, uh, very public way.
1: Right. Well, Wendell, you first came to our attention in June of 2009. That's Mm -hmm. when you got up and first you testified before Congress a lot. But your first testimony was before the Senate Commerce, Science and Transportation Committee, June 24th, 2009. I went looking for that video and could not find. I found one that you testified before the House in September that Nancy Pelosi had posted, but mm. this one I couldn't find. The only p- clip of it I could find was a few seconds that uh, Amy Goodman played on Democracy Now when you were her guest. I think I think this is the beginning of it. My
3: name is Wendell Potter, and for 20 years I worked as a senior executive at health health insurance companies, and I saw how they confuse their customers and dump the sick, uh, so all they so also they can satisfy their Wall Street investors.
1: And the rest, as they say, is history. Back in those days, it was when I was working at Air America Radio. It's when Michael Moore had released the film Sicko. And th- they were just, uh, you know, Obama won election. And they were talking about health care reform. And there were lots of hearings in Congress over what needed to be done about health care. Back around this time, you told the story many times. I'm going to ask you to tell it again. You went home to Tennessee and Stan Brock's Remote Area Medical was doing one of his—I don't even remember what he called it then—a a, a medical expedition.
3: Expedition. expedition.
1: That's what he called it, and and that changed your uh, outlook, huh?
3: It did. He called it expedition because he initially started uh, Remote Area Medical to fly U.S. doctors to third world countries, uh, places where there really are no health care providers uh, to speak of. Uh, but then he started getting uh, requests in this country from communities asking if he would do one of these events, one of these expeditions in the U.S. And the first one was uh, not too far from where I grew up in East Tennessee. And now they still do these, and most of them are in the U.S. because of their uh, incredibly bro- broken health care system, that's broken in many ways, just as much as it was ten years ago when the Affordable Care Act was
2: passed.
1: Oh yeah, just in different ways. There, there are some different things ways. that are better, but other things that are worse. You know, yep. Stan Brock back around that time. I before I learned of you, I had learned of the remote area medical expeditions, and I reached out to Stan Brock. He was a a broadcaster from way back, wasn't he? Was he did like the uh, wonderful world of exotic animals or something? He did one of those yeah. nature yeah. shows. Utah yeah. of Omaha. Utah of Omaha. Kingdom. That's yeah. what it was, yeah. right? Uh, and, um, he came on the show a number of times cause I found what he was doing, not only fascinating, but wonderful. He passed away a few years ago, but remote area medical still g- continues. Right. Good for yeah. them.
3: Uh, so he became a good friend of mine and, uh, uh, I'm so grateful for the work he did and for the, um, you know, our paths crossing mm. a few years you know, uh, ago or just a few, a couple of years before the affordable care act and, uh, yeah, we lost him, but that work continues.
1: So you saw thousands of people lined up in Tennessee for health care, for, for medical, to see a doctor or a dentist. And these are people that had no other access to them. And this opened your eyes, even though you were the main, you were the corporate, the chief corporate spokesman for Cigna and even for the health insurance industry in general. This was your job. And when Michael Moore's movie Sicko came out, it was your job to discredit him.
3: Right. That's exactly right. Um, uh, I wasn't the only one. We it was an industry wide effort to discredit Michael Moore and his movie to make people think that he was just out of step with American thought. Uh, and we were you know, fairly successful. People have an opinion of Michael Moore today, uh, largely because of the work that we did to turn people against him and his movie. Uh, that's the kind of work I did unfortunately
1: that's amazing so when you decided that um you had had enough that you saw the light through you know having to discredit Michael Moore's movie which you learned his movie was actually accurate and what you were doing was lying about it um did it happen all of a sudden did you like one day say I'm out of here and I'm gonna go uh, testify before the senate and tell them what I know How how did that change happen
3: I did reach that that point obviously or because I did leave it was it was both gradual and sudden I know that makes that makes may not make no sense but I began to question what I was doing uh, for one one thing in particular I was asked to be a champion a cheerleader for high deductible health plans oh. we had a euphemism back then it was called consumer driven health care We wanted to try to persuade Americans that they wanted to have more choice, uh, uh, or more, um, involvement in making choices. So that's why we came up with that term. It was a euphemism to disguise what it really was, which was moving people and, and the industry wanted to move every, every last one of us into a high deductible plan. And they're well on that way. It continues. And the affordable care act did not stop that no. like, kind of, kind of just let it happen. And, uh, uh, we're in a big mess now as a consequence. Yeah, but we That are. was Nicole. That was one of the big things. I knew that these plans were not going to be good for people in low income, uh, if they have low incomes, or even moderate income. Right. The, mi- the middle class cannot uh, afford their health insurance now. Mm-hmm. Even if they're even if they're in a policy, more often than not, they will have a, a deductible or some other uh, some other out of pocket obligation that they just can't afford before their coverage will kick in. So they're not getting the care they need.
1: Right. And and that, as we said, there are some problems that things were made worse by the Affordable Care Act. Some were made better, like that people oh, like yes. me could get insurance. Oh, people absolutely. Right? Me with a pre-existing condition or, you know, I'm a, a couple of time cancer survivor. Um, before the Affordable Care Act came into being, I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to buy insurance. I couldn't get it on the open market. Um, yep. So you, throughout the whole... Um, months and months, and it was almost a year that different committees were writing the Affordable it Care was Act. Yeah. Right. I think it was written in three different committees and then they had hearings and they put them all together. And um, Mm -hmm. you were very visible and vocal throughout that whole time, both coming on radio, certainly with me at Air America. You were on with Rachel Maddow on MSNBC. Mm -hmm. Um, You wrote the best book about that entire episode. And I encourage people to I think I read it in two days when it came out because I lived it. You know, it's called Deadly Spin. An insurance company insider speaks out on how corporate PR is killing health care and deceiving Americans. And you you relive that whole thing. So in the subsequent years, we've watched it. Um, you know, we talked about it so much. We watched it get better and then get worse. And, and we've watched for four years the Trump administration mm-hmm. try to kill it off. Right. And yesterday – They went to the Supreme Court. We already knew the date. It was a week after Election Day that the Trump administration was taking it to the court again to try to get it killed once and for all. But this time the court is made up with of five conservatives, um, Mm -hmm. including his latest appointee that he pushed through to fill Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat. Amy Coney Barrett, who is known to not be a friend of of The idea of a single-payer health care plan, for sure. So I listened to the hearing. It's audio only. They did it remotely because of COVID, as I'm sure you did. I was very surprised by a lot of what I heard. Your overall reaction to what you heard?
3: I was surprised, too, to a certain extent, and encouraged that they will not strike the law mm-hmm. because of what we heard. Uh, they, they give hints in what they said and the questions they ask. Um When I say I wasn't necessarily shocked, uh, I think that Chief Justice Roberts and the other justices understand the chaos that would ensue in this country uh, if the Affordable Care Act is undone. It has become, after 10 years, so uh, integrated in everyone's lives. So many people would lose their coverage. So many people would lose lose access to health care. It would be absolutely chaotic. It would be chaotic not only for for us as individual Americans and our families, but for healthcare providers like doctors and hospitals, mm-hmm. um, you could just go on and on about the chaos that it would create. I think they know that, and I think they realize that the Republican Party would be blamed uh, for this. The Democrats would have to play cleanup. Yeah, uh, it would be a horrible thing new, for right? the current, uh, you know, for the next Congress and President to have to deal with. But uh, clearly, I think there would be no doubt that people would have to would blame the Republicans for the mess that would ensue.
1: Well, of course. And, uh, you know, we we probably don't need to say it because everybody knows because we're all living it. We're in the middle of a global pandemic now where millions of people have already lost their employer based health insurance because they lost their jobs. And someone, I'm sure the Democrats in Congress floated the idea of opening up a special enrollment period so that Mm -hmm. people who lost their employer-based insurance could buy into the exchange. And the Republicans said no. And then they fought this. So I was I was prepared to say I'm I'm not going to be able to be insured. Um, there were a few shockers. The biggest shocker came from Brett Kavanaugh, and here's mm-hmm. one clip. I didn't pull a lot of audio, but let me play just a, a couple of clips for you. This is Brett Kavanaugh talking about the severability, and what was it? What they're talking about here is the individual mandate. Now, B- Wendell Potter, back when they were putting this together, the individual mandate was. A necessity. They they told us that we were told it would not work if everyone Mm -hmm. didn't buy in. Everyone had to be in it to share the risk to get the costs down so it would work. What we now know is they did away with the individual mandate. And as Brett Kavanaugh tells us here, um We haven't fallen off the face of the earth, or I forget what analogy he made, but you'll hear it right here.
3: Looking at our severability precedents, it does seem uh, fairly clear that the proper remedy would be to sever the mandate. Provision and leave the rest of the act in place, the provisions regarding pre-existing conditions and the rest. So the question to you, uh, obviously, is how do you get around those precedents on severability, which seem on point here?
1: Seem on point here. So that was Kavanaugh. I'm sorry. The analogy actually came from Alito, the last person. Well, one of the last <laughs> that I ever thought mm-hmm. would say anything even slightly in defense of the Affordable Care Act. But he did right here.
3: At the time of the first case, there was
0: strong reason to believe that the individual mandate was like a part in an airplane that was essential to keep the plane flying.
3: So that if that part was taken out, the plane would crash. But now the part has been taken out and the plane has not crashed
1: the plane has not crashed. That was his analogy. Right. But in a sense, it has because the, 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 everybody buying in was supposed to be the the thing that kept the prices down. Um, it did neither, right? It, it didn't keep the prices down. And now that it's gone, the prices have exploded.
3: Well, that, that is true. The prices have exploded, but it's not just because of that, Nicole. Uh, I will tell you that I was not a fan of the individual mandate at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And you're right. We were all told it's an essential element of this. It will not work unless you have that. That came from my former colleagues. The insurance uh-huh. industry insisted on the individual mandate. They said, if you want us to insure everyone, regardless of pre-existing conditions, we'll do that. But what we need from you is an, an enforceable, and they use that word, an enforceable mm-hmm. individual mandate. And they wanted the penalty to be much, much more severe than uh, Congress ultimately was willing to go along with. They wanted it to be very, very punitive uh, for people not to get insurance. You can understand why, because the more people who who signed up for coverage, the more money they would have, uh, you know, depending on the subsidies. So this came straight from the insurance industry. Even Obama uh, initially said he did not like the idea of an individual mandate. But the insurance industry was so compelling that it, it, they, they sold everybody on this idea that you cannot make this work. This will not work, guys, unless you have an enforceable individual mandate. So when when the Republicans came along a few years later and said, we'll just zero out that penalty. We see that, you know, it's still standard.
1: Right. The plane um, didn't crash.
3: <laughs> the plane did not crash. So there you are. It didn't crash. Uh, it's, uh, there were other reasons why it's not functioning as well as it should. And you can, you can blame the Republicans and the Trump administration in particular on a lot of that. Uh, but some of it was just unintended consequences and, and the, and the lawmakers and the Obama administration being sold really a bill of goods right, by, uh, right. entrenched special interest.
1: That's it's incredible. Um, and so here we stand. It does not look like they're going to strike it down. It looks like they're going to say the, the, the rest of the, the bill, the act, the, the Affordable Care Act stands and it can continue. And I guess that's a good thing. Now, Joe Biden comes in and says he's going to build on the Affordable Care Act. He's not a fan of Medicare for all. By the way, AOC noted something in last week's election. She tweeted out that every candidate, every House incumbent who ran on Medi- in favor of Medicare for All, won. None of them That's lost. Right. All That's of right. those blue dogs, all of those others who, who were swept in in 2018, but were against Medicare for All, they all lost. I think it says something. Um, and and I should at this point note that uh, Wendell Potter, of course, you've gone on since you left the insurance industry, to do a lot of work. You've written a few books. I mentioned Dudley Spin. You also, these days, are working with two groups advocating for Medicare for All. There's Business for Medicare for All and Medicare for All Now. You head up those two. You also, because you have a background in journalism, founded a wonderful journalistic enterprise called Tarbell.org that is um, uh, sort of, I guess, runs parallel to this. But right now, I guess the fight is on to push Joe Biden should do right by us I mean in the debates when he was talking about uh, the public option he didn't sound like he knew what he was talking about because he said something about well that's for people who can't afford it and aren't on the you know Medicaid mm-hmm. expansion and that this way they'll automatically be enrolled and it's that's not how I know of the uh, public option
3: it's not and it's not at all what his campaign was saying yeah or what the Unity Task Force uh, <laughs> said, and the Unity Unity Task Force was uh, uh, was uh, comprised people from both the Bernie camp and the Biden camp, and they came up with this, this, you know, these this is this is what the public option should look like, and it was not at all what Biden was saying. So I think he he was he was, well, I don't I can't suggest what he was <laughs> what he was thinking at the time. Ten years ago, uh, we almost got the public option. But it had been whittled down so much that by the end of that debate, it wouldn't have been much more than what he was saying. Wow. Uh, Unfortunately, it would not have been open to as many people as it needs to be. So maybe he was thinking about that. But I will assure you, I certainly will not uh, endorse a public option unless it is very, very robust and uh, is based on the Medicare program. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see where it goes. And, and and clearly, a lot depends on what happens in Georgia as to whether or not there's even any possibility of, of moving forward with anything truly progressive.
1: Well, that's true, because even if um, uh, 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 John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock both win their races, which we need them to do, that would tie the Senate at uh, 50-50. Uh, Kamala Harris would be the tiebreaker, so it would yeah. – effectively give Democrats the majority. Um yeah. but, you know, you already have people like Joe Manchin saying, you know, he would never go for Medicare for All. Not that they're talking about Medicare for all. Are yeah. I, I guess the discussions and the new writing of a, a public option addendum to the Affordable Care Act or the beefing up of the ACA will not start until the next Congress. And actually, it won't get have any traction if the Democrats don't win those two seats in Georgia. So everything's riding on that. But do you know who is in his health care advisory circle? Have they asked you to join in and, and advise them?
3: You know, they have not. And I was talking to someone earlier today who's uh Um, A favorite of progressives who who ran the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services Mm -hmm. uh, during the Biden years, uh, Don Berwick. Um, There are some there are some progressives who I've seen on the list of those who are uh, working in some capacity in transit on the transition team on healthcare who are progressive. Uh, One in particular is a a, a friend of mine, Edwin Park, uh, who uh, uh, I, I have a lot of confidence in. I was not asked. Don was not asked. So uh, I can't tell you where it's going to wind up. There are good people, but, uh, um, you know, they they could have gone a bit more progressive than they had.
1: <laughs> That's the understatement of the day. I mean, I'm already looking at some of the names being floated and nothing is official yet. Um, but it looks like that whole, you know, Bernie coalition, they sort of said, all right, we'll, we'll take it from here. Thanks for your help. We got this now, yeah. which, yeah, is not. Good. And, and, you know, no. and, and what's sad is they're already trying to you kind of throw the progressives under the bus and say, you know, you look at Jim Clyburn, who said, well, it's all that talk of, oh. you know, defund the police and uh, Medicare for all and socialism that that, uh, you know, cost us. The- I'm sorry. Mm, Again, when you see the people that who won were the ones advocating for Medicare for all. And right now at a time when we're dealing with covid, um, it should be the the top priority to have everyone covered so that if you yeah. get sick you're okay and if you get sick you're not going to be bankrupt you know lose everything you have um because yeah. you got sick it just is it makes no sense and you look at the rest of the world who basically bernie says it the best we are the only advanced nation in the world that doesn't consider health care to be a basic human right
3: and he's right he's correct we are the only one with a you know with a. the probably the, the, one of the world's largest democracies, uh, presumed to be the leader of the free world. And here we are, uh, the, the last developed country that does not see health care as an essential right.
1: Hey, Wendell Potter, while I have you and the few minutes we have left, I went on a bit of a rant yesterday about Medicare Advantage. The mm, TV good. is bombarding us. We're done with the election ads and now it's all Medicare Advantage. We'll pay you money. We'll put one hundred and forty four dollars each month back into your Social Security check. We will pick you up and drive you to your doctor's appointments. We'll give you a free gym membership. We'll give you free stuff. We'll give you everything you want if you sign up for this Medicare Advantage plan Um, to the people who don't understand what's wrong with it. That sounds great. And yeah. as someone who has a husband who's on Medicare and we looked at the regular Medicare plan with Part B and Part D and the gap insurance, that was prohibitively expensive. We couldn't afford it and had to go the Medicare Advantage route. This is how they suck you in. What's mm-hmm. wrong with Medicare Advantage? And uh, let's hear it from you.
3: Well, it does sound too good to be true. And when you hear something that sounds that good, you have got to, you should be suspicious. and. You with a Medicare Advantage plan, yes, uh, it can. There are some things that are very appealing and rightfully so, but they don't tell you the things that you should know that are very concerning. For one, they limit you your choices of doctors and facilities. Oh, yeah. You may not be able to see the doctor you've been seeing or see a doctor that you know is good when you write when you need uh, to have a specialist, for example that doctor or that a hospital might not be in network. Right. Uh, you you also have to understand that there is always going to be some executive at the insurance company who's going to make a decision as to whether or not you get that treatment that your doctor says you need. It's called prior authorization. <laughs> These companies are very aggressive about that. It may say that, that it's going to be covered. You might say that you your transplant is going to be covered. That doesn't mean you're going to get it because- You've got these very aggressive prior authorization procedures. And the other thing that I found out from personal experience is that as you get older, as you get, frankly, toward the end of your life, that network gets narrower and narrower. And a lot of people uh, try as best they can. Some do are able to shift out and go back into traditional Medicare because they find that they they just cannot get the care that they need uh, when they most need it toward the end of their lives. So. Buyer beware. Don't be sucked in. and uh, That's one of the things I'll be talking more and more about in the coming months and years. Good. Uh,
1: yeah, because there's there's obviously a lot of confusion there. And again, yeah. sound, it sounds I hear those commercials like I, I want in to where do I get it? Um, right. and it? But it's when you get down to the fine print. Now, I went on this rant yesterday and pretty much said what you said. The other part is, again, your deal. It's a for profit insurance yeah. company who's administering the medicare plan so you, you, well technically you're on medicare you're not you're under the auspices of this That's insurance right. company who can deny they need to do prior authorizations you need to mm-hmm. get referrals and they need they will say no we're not going to do that test mm-hmm. which has happened to david now i got an email from somebody who said we're on medicare advantage and my wife had a quadruple bypass and they paid for everything and they were great awesome. That's what I want to hear. But that is not everybody's experience. It's not
3: everybody's experience. In fact, it is uh, quite the opposite for many people, Mm. Um, unfortunately.
1: That's horrible. And now it seems like they're moving more and more in that direction. Uh, I thought I heard something last year that if you weren't already in a traditional Medicare plan, it was going to be more difficult to get into one. Do you know about that?
3: No, the Trump administration has been Trying its best to steer people into Medicare Advantage plans. Know that uh, it has accelerated enrollment in these Medicare Advantage plans. Um, we have about, I guess, one of every three Medicare beneficiaries is now in a Medicare Advantage plan. But that two thirds of us, fortunately, are still in the traditional Medicare program. Um, but the Republicans, this keep in mind, this was a Republican idea uh, to privatize the Medicare program. That's what this is, folks. Mm-hmm. This was this is a scheme to privatize the Medicare program. Uh, so know that going into this, that is exactly where it began, began during the, uh, the Bush administration. Right. And uh, and is just, you know, uh, continues to uh, to really uh Get the endorsement of the, the Trump administration.
1: Right. And they they build it up to be like, you know, better than sliced bread. Yep. And again, it's it's buyer beware, because, you know, you think, look, I can't wait till I turn 65 so I can get on Medicare. Um, but yeah. it's just like you're not on Medicare because you still have to deal with the private what I call them. Um, uh, oh, no, I lost I lost the word. Um I always said they were, oh, God, um, I haven't said it in a while. Um, Blackmailers, not blackmailers. I, I forget the word. Ah, I used it for years and years and years about the insurance industry. They co- coercion. They're they're government sanctioned extortionists. That's what I said. They are, they are government they are. sanctioned extortionists. That they'll take your money and they don't promise you anything. But you got to pay them because if you don't, then you know yeah. you're you're out in the cold, and yeah. it just continues. So you're on Medicare technically, but they still can deny you services.
3: Absolutely. Uh, so very much beware of of that. Uh, And one of my major efforts is going to try to persuade members of Congress to back away from their support for this program. It's it is a cash cow for big insurance companies. They love it. They spend an enormous amount of money lobbying to protect it.
1: And some of us have no choice because when we get on Medicare, it's, you know, straight Medicare to be covered fully is expensive.
3: It is, and you have 22. to have a you a, have to have a supplemental policy. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot, as Bernie Sanders has said, we need to improve the traditional Medicare program.
1: Exactly. So um, I guess it's fight on again. This time, thankfully, it'll be against a Biden administration, which may not yeah. come to our side, but they'll be easier to deal with than a Trump administration. Yeah, sure. So Absolutely. We got that. Wendell Potter. So what are you working on now? Where can people find you at, at the two organizations I mentioned?
3: Yes. And,
1: and, and the, uh, we while Medicare
3: for all is their campaign, uh, our organization's names now are the Center for Health and Democracy ah. dot org.
1: OK, uh,
3: so look for that Center for Health and Democracy dot org online. Uh, and businessleadersforhealthcaretransformation.org is the other. That first one, stay tuned. Visit us because you mentioned AOC Mm -hmm. earlier. Uh, We're going to have a big event on uh, November the 18th. So go to our site. I'll tell you more about it later, Nicole. Okay. <clears throat> uh, but uh, it's going to be a big deal.
1: Great. Well, I can't wait. And you have an open invitation here anytime to, to let us know what you're up to. Wendell Potter, uh, you still have our thanks of a nation for coming forward and, and um, coming to the righteous side. Wendell Potter, thank you, as always. Thank you, Nicole. That website again is Center for Health and And November 18th is right around the corner. By the way, the other site he mentioned, Business Leaders for Healthcare Transformation, you can find that one at BLHCT, BLHCT.org. It's an uphill battle, but it's certainly worth the fight. And that brings us to the end of another episode of the Bradcast. Brad and Desi will be back for the next one. I'm Nicole Sandler. You can find my show in lots of places, but it's always posted at NicoleSandler.com. Until next time, we dodged a bullet, but they're still flying in all directions. So be careful, wear your mask, and good luck to us all.